Blog Talk Radio. Eastern, 1000 Greenwich. This is the rudder, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, your host for the next 30 minutes, and today's show is about stage two of the stages of fast growth for small businesses, and that is cash is king. Um, if you'd like to talk, you can hit the chat link, blog talkradio.com slash the rudder and that has a hyphen between the T-H-E and the R-U-T-T-E-R or you can dial in and reach us at 347. Oh, I'm sorry, I've done it again. No microphone. Let's do this again one more time. Good day. It is 0600 Eastern, 1000 Greenwich. Um, this is the rudder, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, your host, and for the next 30 minutes, um, I'm going to be covering the topic of cash is king. So if you'd like to talk with us, hit the chat link at blogtalkradio.com, or you can dial in and you can reach us at 347-215-7471. So let's see here, two days in a row, and I don't have the mic lined up. It must be that it's the early, early, early morning time that does it. Um, we typically don't do any news, but uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, when I was a kid, my mother had this saying about uh, celebrity deaths came in threes or come in threes. And uh, most of you know that Michael Jackson passed away yesterday, and so did uh, Farrah Fawcett uh, or Farrah Fawcett Majors. And then I believe two days ago or three, it was Ed McMahon. So it's, it's just kind of curious how things go and how quickly life uh, moves on. You know, and as a business person, a small business person, I can tell you that uh, the life of a small business is just as tenuous as our hold on existence here. So with that, and not to be somber, but let's just pick it up. Today's format, and it's the format that we've established starting with yesterday, is that the first thing we're going to do is we're going to describe the growth stage. What stage of growth are we going to discuss today within the context of all of them? What are the critical issues? What are the things that must be attended to now? in this stage. Number three, what is the role of the owner? Because one of the things that I have found from working in 30 years in the industry is that many times owners are not clear about what their role is or what is the next step. And what, what happens is they do what they want to do or what they're good at, and that means is that in certain stages the business thrives because what the owner likes and is good at matches what the business needs. And in other stages that the business is sincerely in trouble if the owner doesn't catch on. Um, what should the owner focus be? What, what are the things that are critical? And we have been talking about this in terms of what more processes need to be put into place um, that without those, without that infrastructure, there's no foundation uh, for the future, let alone uh, very little 
uh, opportunity for success right now. And then finally, what we'll do is we'll close it out with the failure points. What are the th- why does it fail, and what are the things to avoid? So, quick review of the growth stages. Today is we're taking the second growth stage. Growth stage number one is a dream to plan. In other words, you take a business idea and you transform that into your plan to say, here's what we're going to do, which we covered in yesterday's show. Today's stage is Cash is King, which is about go live and sell, sell, sell. Um, On Monday, when we pick this back up, uh, stage three is called the next act. And what that means is that you stop, you take your breath, you figure out what worked and what didn't work, uh, what did you intend to do that was right? What did you intend to do that was wrong? What did you learn that you should include? And it's your way of kind of putting it all back together. And typically that's when the decision is made, okay, how big do we want to be this time? Uh, stage four is called Big Fast, and that is basically where the major growth in a business takes place in this particular stage. Stage five is called Stable. And this is where a company kind of, again, kind of takes its breath. But for the owners, what's significant here is they need to make a decision. Um, If you're going to sell the business, this may be great timing, maybe not economically in terms of the economy, but in terms of the business, you're never going to get more money for the business than you are going to get right here and now. Or your second option is say, no, we just get started. Let's kind of, let's go through this thing again and re-loop it. And then what that means is you're going to reinvent the firm and that's stage six, or your choice is you're going to do nothing and kind of uh, rest on your morals, and it means the business is going to decline. Um, just like anything, like anything that is alive, uh, there's birth, there's growth, there's decline, and there's death. In a business, you can defy those odds consciously. Unfortunately, in real life, none of us can, but companies can because they are economic entities and not uh, flesh and blood entities. And then finally, stage six is the stage when if the choice is to reinvent the firm, you basically loop it. And what I'd want you to view or envision mentally is, is stage six actually sweeps you back through stage three. And so reinvention, next act, big fast, reinvention, uh, next act, big fast. And what you can do is you can see loops. And on next Friday's show, what we are going to talk about, and I believe that uh, uh, I think we call it the path to growth next Friday, a week from today, is I'm going to talk about the research on the companies that have gotten very big uh, very quickly and have gone to IPO to a billion dollars and one of the characteristics. And one thing I want you to just think about for a second as you're trying to envision where you want to take the company, and that's this. The companies that have got there, the companies that have gone to a billion, um, it uses four reinventions, four reinventions. And that, that path after the first reinvention either takes four years for the very fastest, such as a Google, it takes six years, or it takes... 12 years. And what's interesting is the, these are all statistical averages, but those are the pathways. What is also interesting is before the first reinvention, it's called ramp-up. And that ramp-up time can be five years, can be 10 years. There are companies that they looked at that had ramp-ups. Their first, their first growth to capacity, their first 
um, we've finally optimized the operation of the business and have grown and taken all the market share that we can do and done all the business we can do. Um, some companies have taken 100 years in ramp up. And so what we're talking about here is what is your ramp up? So if you're, if you, what you seek to do is become a market dominator, you seek, you seek to become the big dog in the marketplace, what we'll do is we'll show you how to get that done. And what we're dealing with is the first of four reinventions of the firm. But now let me get back to today. Today is stage two. It's about go live. You've, you've decided that, okay, you're, you're stage one. You've done all your planning. You've done the things you've got to do. And now you open the doors and you say to people, we've got something to sell. And so what are the critical issues here? One, and then, by the way, these critical issues are not in order. These are just the ones that should be on your plate. And that is, how do I create brand identity in the marketplace? Um, in stage one, you worked, about, you worked on your branding, and now what you're trying to do here is to say, okay, now that we kind of know what we want to say to people, how do we go out and how do we say that? How do we, how do we go out and create presence in the marketplace? Because when you think about brand identity, there's two issues here. One is, what are the personal characteristics uh, of your brand? Just like personality con uh, characteristics of people, is it sophisticated, is it rugged, is it, um, is it cool? things like that. And so you need to think about your brand like, uh, like a personality uh, because that's what you're trying to create. And this is not something you're doing for this month or this cycle, this year. This is 30 years from now. That brand identity um, should not have morphed, morphed very, well, uh, very much, I should say. It should be something that you could see the, the projection and all you've done is got a little bit smarter and you refined it a little bit more and the language got a little bit tighter. The other thing about brand is that if you look at awareness in the marketplace, um, there's basically four levels. And uh, one level is um, they don't, they've never heard of you, a little unawareness in the marketplace of your company. And so what you're trying to do here is you're trying to move out of that, that spot because if you are in this spot, then all sales are cold calls. And any of you who have been invo involved in sales know that cold calling is a tough way, very tough way, to make a living. And so you want to move from the unaware to uh, aware, but only when prompted. And at that level, what you're saying is that if you say to somebody, well, do you, have you heard of um, Applied Knowledge Labs, which is our company, the next level up this uh, pyramid is they go, oh, yeah, those guys. Okay, and then, and then when you hear them talk, then hopefully you, know, you have some sense of what those guys are. Um, the next level up is without any type of prompting or queuing, they know who you are. So if there is an issue, they go, hey, how about those guys applied knowledge labs? How about the labs? Maybe we can call them up. And then finally, at the top of this pyramid is what's called top of mind. Top of mind is that when they have a particular issue, they think of you first. They don't think of you as a, uh, as a as a component of vendors or clients, they would, uh, companies they'd like to work with, which is stay, this, the stage lower down, or it's one of those that um, at least they know of you, which is more than happens in the lower stages. And so how do you create that brand identity in the market so that when you call, they know who you are, or they call you? The second critical issue is the reduction of customer risk. Let's face it. You've got a brand new business. You're going to somebody and say, hey, spend money with me. Um, well, 
unless you're in retail where you're selling a commodity, commodity that doesn't require any support, people are going to want to know, well, if I buy it from these guys, are they going to be around next week? Do they know what they're doing? And so whenever you are a startup, you are asking customers to take considerable risk to spend their money with you. And how do I reduce that risk? How do I make them comfortable with us that we will be here and we will honor it? Which gets me to the, to the third issue here, and that is not whether the owner executive is involved in sales, but how. Because if you want to look at a failure point, which we'll talk about as we close out the show, one of the failure points at stage two is that the executive believes that they can hire a sales force and let them handle it. Uh, au contraire, not going to happen. Uh, because at this, among other issues, who else can speak with greater passion about the company and its direction and its future? Who else can get people fired up about what's going on? And who else can sit across the table, especially if you're in B2B uh, business-to-business sales, and look that other owner or executive uh, or manager in the eye and say, we're going nowhere, we're going to be here, trust me. And so the executive needs to be involved in sales and will be involved in sales. Most of all these successful companies, the executive team, as they grew the company, were always involved in sales. The question is, how did the sales force use them? In the early stages here, the owner may be the only salesperson, or if they are not, hopefully you've hired somebody to replace you. Uh, at least what, what happens here is you're the lead and you manage the sales department. Okay. The next one is the finding of marquee accounts. Now, what's a marquee account? A marquee account is that customer that will that will, when it's known that they do business with you, will reduce everybody else's fears. In other words, in the old days, if you were a technology firm and you said, well, one of my prime com, uh, uh, customers is IBM, then that would say everything because people would go, well, hell, IBM wouldn't buy from somebody that, that didn't do quality work or it was a shyster. And so that marquee customer first of all, gives you a brand association, reduces the risk, tells people that you are safe and trustworthy, but also that marquee customer is the place where you really get to understand the nature of your offer. Now, again, if, you sell, if you're selling strictly a commodity, this may be a little bit more difficult because the marquee customer could be a certain buying demographic. It could be uh, you know, people with a great deal of discretionary money or uh, whatever, but in a B2B environment, now think about what we talked about in stage one. In stage one, we said do not let good enough become the hostage of perfect when it came to the design of the product or services. In other words, get it good enough, get it the hell out the door, get selling it. Well, finding the marquee customer is really much about being in a partnership with the customer and that you get to work on this thing that you sold them and this is where you cut your teeth, and this is where you really learn um, how well it works or doesn't work. So let's put a percentage on this. Let's say that your decision was that you would turn this out at an 80% level. You know, you said, we could do 100%, but it'll take us another year and we'll be broke. So we get it at 80%, so we get it out the door and start selling it. How do you close the gap on the other 20%? You close that with your marquee customers. And that's critical because all the companies that became, that, that were quick, who had quick ramp-up times, who were able to really grow the company, 
had marquee customers that they could depend upon. And then finally, and most critical, this is how you can tell. This one is the predictor of um, are you ready to leave the stage and move on to uh, uh, grocery, which is the next act. And that is creating sufficient and predictable cash flow. Now let me define what I mean here. Sufficient cash flow, um, I think, is pretty obvious. You have enough money to cover your overhead, to cover your salaries, to cover the things you need to do to run the business. Now, I'm not talking about any extravagance here. I'm talking bare-bone business operation. But you have enough money to cover that, plus you have money left over to reinvest in the firm. Because when you get to the next stage, and one of your goals is going to be to upgrade your capacity so that you can really ramp up in stage four and grow the company, you're going to have to have something more in the cigar box than just enough money to pay the bills. And so sufficient cash flow is, is something that I, I would say that you, if your margins, you need your margins to be at least at about 30%. Um, and the reason for that is you need about a 30% investment. So if you took all, every dollar you had over what you needed and reinvested in the firm, a gross margin of 30% would probably be about on track. Now, the issue of predictable cash flow has to do with the psychology of being the business owner. And I sp I'll speak to this in a very personal way, and that is you know you've got enough money coming in. But until it shows up, you don't have it. And so what happens well, a lot of times, and I'd struggle with this myself, is you budget money. You make decisions, you're going to do this, this, or this, especially in stage three, the next act. Um, you are going to make decisions about how you're going to improve the capacity of the company to sell or produce, and typically it's kind of both of those. If you don't know when the next dollar is coming in, you're not going to spend that money, and if you don't spend the money, then you can't grow the firm. So the issue of predictability is that, that, is that cash flow, as you know that if you spend money, that if you allocate money that you're going to spend in July, um, and that that is somehow going to be covered by money in August, that you know that the money you spend in July is actually going to occur. And so um, that is where if you are there and you know that your, predict your cash flow is sufficient and predictable, sufficient to cover the bills and to reinvest in the firm, then um, you're ready to move on to stage three. Now, I find ourselves at about 18 minutes past the hour. So let me kind of remind you, if you'd like to participate, what you could do. From the blogtalkradio.com uh, slash the rudder, T-H-E uh, hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R, you can hit the chat button and bring you into our chat room, uh, number one. Number two is that you can call in and you can reach us, um, you can reach us at uh, 347 217471. And of course, we will always have our uh, show notes up on our blog site, which is also linked there. And unfortunately, I have to apologize to you, but we did not have yesterday's show up. So the, the work this afternoon from our, our production department is going to be to put up yesterday's show and today's show. Um, and since we're speaking of sales, we have the good fortune of writing a major contract for one of the states in the United States to take uh, for their major university for us to take over uh, their platform and platform for production of uh, educational materials. So um, it was a, it was a hot day here at the ranch. 
Okay, so let me get us now to the owner's role. We talked about the critical issues, the owner's uh, owner's role, and that is the management of the sales funnel. Probably the most important thing to be done is is managing uh, the sales funnel. Now, what I mean by that? Well, the issue here is we talked about yesterday in in stage one is coming up with a sales model. Um, I, I... I don't care what sales model you use because here's what I've learned. Some are better than others, but any of them are better than none. And so if you use um, kind of the standard leads become uh, uh, prospects, prospects become suspects, suspects become contracts or become customers. Use something like that four-part model. Okay. So the issue of the sales funnel is managing how many leads come into the funnel and how many sales go out the funnel, okay? Leads in, sales out. And once you establish what that number is, you can begin to work on the ratio. Now, in when I was in the consulting business and I worked for a large consulting house, um, the numbers are, were rather depressing. It was 100 to 1. In other words, 100 leads would lead to a, a, lead to a single contract. And But what that tells you, once you have that number, one is, well, then how many are we bringing in? And you know that if you, um, you need 100 leads to get a sale and you only have 50 leads in the funnel, hey, you know you've got some problems and you need to know what you, you need to know. You know what you need to get. Number two is what's the margin for sale? And that'll, that'll be a way of looking at what your cost of sales are. And that's why it's critical to have some sort of CRM system because without that, your financial accounting software more than likely will not give a, you a breakdown by account. It'll give you a well, here's your cost of sales, and then we kind of distribute that. No, 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 no. What you want to do is, as you're working these accounts, you want to have an accurate picture of what the cost of sales are for that account and what is the margin on that, and make your average by averaging together, not making your average by just dividing the numbers together. And what you want to do is you want to drive the margin for sale up. And then the last one is time from start to finish. We talked yesterday about when you were computing your cash flow is that what was essential is your ability to um, manage cash, and one of those one of those metrics was the sales cycle. You know, and I said yesterday in our industry it was about 90 days. So what I want to do is I want to look at how I manage the sales funnel to make sure that hey, if you can, if you if it costs you a thousand dollars a day to keep the doors open, and you have a 90 day sales cycle, and you take two days out. That's $2,000 of working capital you have just freed up. And so you'd be surprised how improving, how financially uh, powerful it is to increase the ratio of, of decrease the ratio, excuse me, of leads coming in, the contracts coming out. So instead of 100 to 1, let's turn it to 90 to 1. You won't believe how that will affect cash flow. Um, how do we, if we increase margin for sale by 2%, you have no idea how that positively will affect your cash flow. And if it takes us 90 days and we take it down to 88, how that will positively impact the cash flow. And then all of this, uh, yesterday we talked about it, is under the direct supervision of the owner. And you are going to train people directly and you're going to train them by example because where you put your energy, where you put your focus, is going to drive the company. And right now, it's all about sales, sales, sales. Don't worry about production. 
Don't worry about defects. Don't worry about any of that because in these early stages, there's a rule of thumb on cash flow, and that is you actually can get by if you're not making enough money if the velocity of cash. And what the velocity of cash is, if it's coming in faster than it's going out, you can survive for a while, not long term, but in the short term here you can. <clears throat> What's the owner's focus? All right. We talked about <clears throat> processes to put into place yesterday. Uh, you put them in place. All you're doing is running them, so I'm just going to quickly hit it. You put in a customer sales system or CRM, so your process of looking at <clears throat> excuse me, the entire sales process, that is what you're currently doing. So you're managing the sales process. You put it in a financial accounting system. You're looking at that and managing that very well, and you're getting not monthly after the end of the period monthly reports, but any, any real-time reporting you can get from it, you're getting it. So you're comparing sales to numbers or sales to margin or sales to revenue. And then the other thing that you're managing is that how you put together the brand identity and energy to go to market to say to see if it's working. Okay, so now failure points. As we get at uh, 25 minutes past the hour, let me talk about the, the four failure points that you typically see and what you want to avoid. Uh, number one is insufficient research. Uh, in other words, wrong message, wrong customers, wrong product. You're sitting across from them in the meeting. That's why you should be involved in sales. Um, something that they should delight them, light their eyes up, something they should go to. Where do I sign? And they're unmoved. Or they, or they look at you and say, well, we don't need that. And so what you quickly find out is either bad message or bad, uh, or I should say not bad message, wrong message or wrong customers. And so if you didn't do your market research, um, you may be pitching the wrong thing the wrong people. Um, number two is no time or expense or money spent on marketing. Everything is now a cold call in your system. Um, it's, this is just not fun. Selling is difficult enough, um, but making putting all the burden on the sales process without doing any marketing is asking for trouble. The fourth, the third failure point is no executive involvement in sales. Um, you know, you just wait around for the salespeople to either call them in or you talk to them at the end of the day. Uh, uh you need to be involved. Now, what you could do is that you could use salespeople if you've got some sort of sales process. We talked about, for example, leads to uh, prospects, prospects to suspects, suspects to close deals. What you can do is you can have they, you can have them handle the lower end of that. And then when the when the customer is getting when you're getting close to being able to close the deal, where say okay, let's talk about deliverables and money, they get you involved. But the deal here is that if you're not involved, that's a failure point. And then the last one is as we've talked about at Nostrum here is the issue of the management of cash flow. Um, the cause, the number one cause of death at this stage is lack of money. And you need the money to prove that your concept is right, that the business idea has its legs. So let me summarize on stage two. Stage one is you've set the framework um, to go to market. Stage two is about sell, sell, sell. And it's really your first test of whether or not your offer is right for the market that you picked or the population that you're, or, or you've targeted. It's one thing to have people tell you in your startup, in your uh, stage one, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I'd buy it. It's quite another to go in there and say, okay, now buy it. And so what you learn from the sales process is absolutely essential. But also look at your uh, company as an infant. Uh, this is a brand new baby. cannot stand up on its own. It needs its parent, the owner, 
to basically hold it and cuddle it and run it. And without cash, it's like uh, cash is mother's milk. And so the whole issue here at stage two is sufficient and predictable cash flow. And everything that the owner does has to be around building that because when we talk about stage three, uh, which is going to happen on Monday, um, it's 6 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock, 10 in the morning, Greenwich. Uh, what we're going to talk about then is, okay, we've got enough cash flow here. We probably have got about a gross margin enough to have a profit contribution where we can invest maybe 30% of what we've made back into the company. So now the question becomes, where do we put those dollars to grow the company? And that's where we're going to be on Monday is to say, okay, and it's called the next act. When you sit back, you take your breath, and you go, Oh, yeah. All right, that was fun. And now what do we do? And you begin to say, all right, we've got our act together. So what I want to say to you today is this. Uh, thanks for dialing in on Friday or joining us in the chat room. Um, kind of enjoyed uh, some back-and-forth dialogue. Um, our company, our parent company, is Applied Knowledge Labs. We are a uh, North American company headquartered in uh, Calgary, Alberta, and Las Vegas, Nevada, with offices in Calgary, Las Vegas, Kansas City, and just our recently opened April this year Atlantic office in Richmond, Virginia. So with that, you have a great business day, and uh, this is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. Thanks from the labs.